Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Easter Sunday is coming up, and we hope you'll celebrate at Brookwood at one of our three services, Saturday, April 8th at 5 p.m., and Sunday, April 9th at either our 9 or 11 a.m. services. Online campus will stream Easter Sunday at 11. This week, we're concluding the two-week miniseries called New Life. Last week's episode, The Blessing of New Life, we learned why our new life in Christ and in the Spirit is truly a blessing from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This week's episode, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 25. We'll examine Paul's prayer for believers and explore birthmarks of faith. Here's Pastor Brian Jones. Well, it is a joy to be with you, uh, Brookwood. Hey, before we jump in, I just want to say two quick observations that I have noticed about this church. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, by the way. As you saw, you can follow along in your program. But just two quick observations. One, this really is a church that uh, loves God and loves people. And I've been around a lot of churches, and I'll confess to you at times, it is easier uh, to do the love God part and tolerate people. And uh, I just feel like this is a church. I have talked to so many people who have talked about how they've been served, cared for, connected And uh, my family has been the recipient of that in the last month. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you love God and love people. It has just really been a blessing. Yep, thank you. And the second thing that has really been stirring is um, I'm spending some time with folks uh, before I step into the senior pastor role. The good news is Perry's right here, but he's he's informed that he's not going anywhere. He's still going to be teaching once once, uh, I step into that role. Is that correct? You have a th- you, so you've heard it here, 2,000 witnesses right there. Um, but one of the things that I've been asking is the question, um, what are you praying for at Brookwood? Like what's in your heart? Do you know what has been so stirring? The number one thing I have heard from folks like you in this room, I'm meeting with many more of you, is we want to see an awakening of God. We just want to see God move. We want revival. And I just was thinking about that, but I just want to encourage you, there has never been a person in human history, there has never been a church in human history that has been hungry for the presence of God and left unfilled, amen? And so I just was thinking about that, that your hunger has encouraged me. I thought I was coming in to encourage you, but really you have encouraged me far more than I think I can encourage you guys just with your hunger and your appetite for God. So keep running after him. Now today, as we... uh, continue and really wrap up what we've been looking at a two-week series called New Life. Uh, JC did a phenomenal job last week talking about this new life that we have in Christ from Ephesians chapter 1. And the passage we just read in Ephesians chapter 1, um, verses 15 through 23, you'll see it in your program. You can follow along. I'll give you some points. But really what I want you to know right off the bat is that is one sentence that the Apostle Paul has, verses 15 through 23. And he's writing a group of new believers in the church in Ephesus. And what I want you to think about, when you think about the book of Ephesians, if you're ever studying the book of Ephesians, I want you to think about it like an instruction manual for the new life that you have in Jesus. I want you to think about it like an instruction manual for the, for the life that you have in the Spirit of God. Now, my wife and I are moving into a new house, and so one of the things we've had to do is assemble a variety of different things. And so I brought one of these instruction manuals. Because I've learned very quickly that there are two types of people when it comes to instruction manuals. There are first the groups of people, and you know who you are. You are a responsible rule follower. You will study this thing like it is the Word of God, all right? 
and you will lay out all the bolts, all the pieces. How many of you are the responsible ones that do that? Okay. Not as many of you. I see we got our work cut out for us today. How many of you are, what shall I say, the free-spirited type? I don't know if you should be excited about that. But you are the instructionally challenged. You are building the airplane while you fly it. You know, one of the things that if you're in that category, what often happens is when you get done building something, you see that there is a piece, a part, a bolt that is missing. And then you have to go back to this instruction manual and figure out where you left off so that thing can be whole or complete. The reason I tell you this is today as we speak about these birthmarks of faith that Paul is writing the church, some of these things you might go, they're absent in my life. I've been following Jesus for 10, 20 30 years, and yet these marks that you speak about that the Spirit of God brings are absent. And I just want to encourage you that what the Spirit of God wants to do this morning is bring those things in your life. Those things that are missing, those things that are absent. He doesn't want you to go through a program for a month. He wants to bring that kind of life right now. This is the marks of the Spirit that I want you to see. That Paul says once you step into a relationship with God, you're all marked by. The first thing that he wants to make sure that you and I understand and that we are marked by is this, a defiant hope. First thing he talks about in verse 18, listen to what it says. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand, notice this, the confident hope he has given to those he called. Now, question for you. Who or where does that hope come from? Jesus. And so what Paul wants you to understand is that when you step into a relationship with God, the Spirit of God brings a supernatural hope. You are marked by that hope. And so if something's absent and the Spirit of God wants to place that in your life even this morning. In fact, I love what the NIV says. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope. But listen to what the NIV says. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So think about this. What the Spirit of God wants to do is we all have physical eyesight. And what the Bible says, what Paul is saying here is a mark of the Spirit is that what God wants to give you isn't physical eyesight, it is spiritual eyesight. He wants you to look past the, past the difficult circumstances you're facing, a declining culture, a declining church, and he wants you in the midst of whatever circumstances you have to have spiritual eyes to have the hope of God even when there is no reason to have hope. In fact, I love this in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is speaking about the resurrection of Jesus, and he says this, if I fought wild beast in Ephesus, notice what he says, with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, what Paul wants you to understand is there is a huge difference between human hope and biblical hope. There's a huge difference between human hope and a defiant hope. Human hope only sees the circumstances. It sees that we've got a bad illness that we're facing. We've got a financial obstacle here. We've got a, a loved one that's straining from God. And you see that, and what happens is it creates a hopelessness. But what Paul wants you to know is that with Christ, something else happens. You get a defiant hope. In fact, I'll just say a defiant hope is this. It is Christ 
over your circumstances? Is Christ above your circumstances? It's an ability to see that God is still up to something even when hope seems gone. You know, I just have to say this though. Oftentimes for years I miss this. See, hope does not pretend mountains don't exist. Hope does not pretend that there is not a mountain of cancer or injustice or evil. What hope does though is it sees past those things and it sees something greater than that mountain and it sees a person, namely Jesus Christ. And so that in the midst of that, what you find is a hope that wells up in your spirit. Now out of curiosity, how many of you have ever heard this phrase, God will not give you more than you can bear? Anybody heard that phrase? How many of you hate when you hear that phrase, God will not give you more than you can bear. I used to say that to people all the time. You know, they'd be going through a bad time. And it's really insensitive when you say it. It's like, hey, my life's falling apart. Hey, but you know what? God won't give you more than you can bear. And you know, I, I used to believe that until I had twins and then I realized God will give you more than you can bear. <laughs> but you know, I think Perry mentioned this uh, a couple series ago, but the truth is you don't find that in the Bible. In fact, what the Bible says, where people usually derive that from, is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has seized you beyond what you can bear. The truth is, I want to encourage you with this, that some of you are in a spot with Jesus where you have a hunger for him because you had something you couldn't bear, and that brought you closer to Jesus. And so, in essence, you might be in this room, and I've talked to people that are facing terminal illness right now. And it's something they can't bear in their own strength. I've talked to people in this room that are grieving where a family member is and the decisions they are making. And you talk to them and it's more than they can bear. But what happens is Paul wants you to know when you have those things, what they can become is a hope because that pushes you to see Jesus beyond your circumstances. To look at him in the midst of all the pain you're experiencing. In fact, what often happens is when you have a hopelessness, you feel discouraged. And one of the things the enemy will do is he will come and he will whisper certain lies. Remember what the Bible calls Satan? The father of what? Father of lies. And you'll be in a spot where all of a sudden, one second you have hope, you come to a church service, then all of a sudden this voice says in your mind, I can't. And it's the enemy, he's bringing lies. Now I will say this to you. Next time you hear that voice that says, I can't, I actually want you to agree with it. And you go, isn't that heresy? No. What I want you to say is whenever the enemy comes in and says, I can't, agree, but remind the enemy that you know someone who can. And his name is Jesus. Because what the enemy does is he comes and he says, hey, you can't fix this circumstance in your family. You're right, I can't, but I know someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Hey, how are you going to pay this bill? You can't pay this bill. You're right, I can't. But I know someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Hey, I can't figure out what to do with this health circumstance. You're right, you can't, but there is someone named Jesus, and he can. Hey, I can't make a difference in the dark world that I'm a part of right now. You're right, you can't, but there's someone who can, and his name is Jesus. Oh, you can't make a difference in the church that is declining. You're right, I can't, but he can, because he says in his word, he will build the church, and the very gates of hell won't stand. And so what God wants to give you this morning, can I just say this? 
God doesn't want you to get to heaven to find hope. He wants to instill it in your life. If that piece of hope is missing in your heart and soul this morning, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him in the midst of your circumstances. I love what it says in Hebrews 12.2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. I think the NLT says the author. The NIV says the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, suffering its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This means that if you are in Jesus, God wants to give you a defiant hope this morning. But the second thing that Paul says you and I get when we step into a relationship with Jesus, the second birthmark of the Spirit of God in our life is this. You understand that you have immeasurable value. You have a measurable value. In fact, listen to what the last part of verse 18 says. It says, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Now, an inheritance, you know, is something that is passed on from a loved one or a family member uh, once, they, once, they, uh, once they die. And so when it speaks about inheritance here, here's a question for you. When it speaks about inheritance, whose inheritance is this verse speaking about? Whose inheritance do you think Paul is referring to? God's. Now, when I started studying this, at first I, I really started thinking, you know what, I think it's our inheritance. Some commentators think that, but as you sit in this and study it, I just had this uneasiness. The Spirit wouldn't let it go. And you can pray for yourself and see what the Spirit says, but a lot of commentators, and I started to agree with this, believe that this is God's inheritance. And you go, how does God have an inheritance? Doesn't he have everything? And what's so baffling about this verse that the Spirit of God wants to awaken you. Because you can have a concept in your head. And that's just knowledge. But what the Spirit of God wants to do is awaken you and illuminate that you are God's treasure. That you are his inheritance. You are what he longs to put on display. And so there's something in this that the Spirit of God wants this to move from just some mental concept in your head because we can all go around and talk about the love of God, but the question is this morning, do you feel it in your bones? Do you know your identity and who you are in Jesus? Do you know that God wants to put you on display? Now, honest question here, any men in the room, any, any of you guys have a man cave? Only a few of you, you are deprived. <laughs> well, I, I've never had a man cave, so we're in good company. In fact, I thought I might get one, and then my third Christmas after we got married, I got a gift. Do you know what gift I got the third Christmas after we got married? Embroidered towels. <laughs> it was at that exact moment that I knew my whole life was over. There was no man cave in my future. But you ever go in one of those man cave, she shacks, whatever, whatever room you've got, some special place? I mean, I've been in several homes lately. And there's always this spot where someone has something special, like sports memorabilia, They've got things that they put on display. They've got collections they like. And oftentimes when you go in someone's home who's got one of these things, they always want to lead you to that room and show off what they have on display. It's a thing that they treasure. And here's my question for you. When you woke up this morning, wrangled the kids, when you got your cup of coffee, when you were singing songs about the love of God, did it ever hit you this morning? That not the church as a whole, but you as an individual, you are God's inheritance. 
You are his treasure. You are the thing he longs to show off. You are what the Bible says he puts on display. Some of us, we hear that, and it's just something conceptually in our mind, but what the Spirit of God wants to do is move that from a conceptual thought to a reality in our heart. In fact, I love what it says in Psalms 103, because some of us don't feel that because we walked in carrying some sin or some mistake we've made, and we think, yeah, yeah, I I realize one day God wants to put me on display, but not now. And I want to just encourage you with this. Psalms 103.11 says this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I love this. As far, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed his transgressions from us. It is the perfect love of God that causes him to put you on display. It is not your performance. You are perfect because of what Jesus has done, and we just have to step into that reality. Can I just say this? Some of you struggle with this because you've never heard from your parents, I love you or I'm proud of you. I pray that the Spirit of God would take that missing piece in your life and remind you that you are God's treasure. I'm telling you, there are people, Christians, who have a father wound, who've never heard what it's like to have the Spirit of God speak to them. And not just give them a bunch of tasks to do or some things to fix, but to speak to you and say, I love you, you are my treasure. That's what he wants to do. And can I just take a little time out and say this with parents? It doesn't matter how old you are, you will always be mom and dad. But one of the things that I want to encourage you so that your kids start to understand the love of God and it's not based on performance is this. Make sure that you tell your kids you love them not just when they're performing, but even when they make a mistake. In fact, one of the things I do with my son, he's eight years old, he's now at the point where he doesn't like it anymore, it's not cool to him. But I'll walk into his room right when he's getting ready to go to sleep and I'll say, hey buddy. They go, hey dad. I say, you know I love you, right? And he goes, yeah dad, I know. You tell me all the time. And then I say this, do you know why I love you? He goes, yeah, Dad, you tell me all the time. I say, why? And he says this phrase, he says, because I'm yours. What I want my son to understand is I love him when he's hitting a home run and when he's striking out. I don't want my son to think that his performance, however good or bad, dictates how I feel. And there are so many Christians who don't understand our identity, that you are perfect in Jesus. And when you live out of that, it causes you to start to step into that identity in new and fresh ways. It's the love of God that Paul wants us to the spirit of God to understand. And he's saying there are people who, who doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or you've been following Jesus for your whole life, you got to make sure it gets into your bones, into your spirit, or you will spend your life trying to find that in other places. I love what Paul says here. Now, Paul is not usually like a flowing poetic man. Paul is usually straight to the point. He's kind of one of those alpha guys. He's usually just saying, hey, I'm apostle. This is who God is. This is what he commands you to do. Now go do it. And yet, listen to what he says. It's like something in Ephesians, this instruction manual for the faith has awakened him. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 3, 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. Notice this. How wide, how long, How high and deep is the love of Christ. 
And to know this love, notice this, verse 19, and to know this love, and what does it say there? That surpasses what? Knowledge. Paul is saying, I don't want you to come and just open your Bible, sing some songs. I want you to feel it in your spirit. You can't do that on your own. In fact, it's just emotionalism if you do that. But when the Spirit of God gets into your life, you become reminded of how immensely valuable you are, that you are God's inheritance. And Paul says, I want you to know that so that you spend your life in that reality and that promise. And listen to what he concludes with, that you may be filled with the measure of all the partialness of God. Fullness. Fullness. This is not something he wants us to experience in heaven. He wants the fullness of God in your life right now. That is what the Spirit wants to do. And if there's something in you that goes, that is missing, then what he wants to do this morning, not next week, is remind you of that. Now, the third thing Paul says here is this. When you become a follower of Jesus, not only does the Spirit of God give you a defiant hope that transcends your circumstances, and not only do you start to slowly but surely understand your value and your worth in God alone through what Jesus has done on the cross, but you also get something else that needs to be talked about. Paul says you get real spiritual power. Real spiritual power. Listen to what he says in verse 19 and 20. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you hear that? The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives and resides in you and resides in me. That is astonishing. And you can't just say that. You've got to sit in that. You've got to let it become a reality for you. Because if you aren't careful, you'll have what I refer to as like selective atheism. And what I mean by that is we'll say phrases like, yeah, yeah, I believe God can heal anyone. I just don't think he'll heal me or my family. Or you know what? I believe God holds the whole world in his hands, but I don't know if I can trust him with my kids or my finances. Hey, I believe God can do anything he wants, but I don't know if I can really overcome this struggle I've had for 10 or 15 years. And if that's what you're thinking, what the Spirit of God wants to do is he wants to take that missing piece and remind you this morning that you can't do that, but that he can. And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, according to what Paul is saying, is the birthmark of your faith. It is something every believer is given. Let me just encourage you with this. There are no all-stars or elites in the kingdom of God. There are only those who are hungry and available. Paul's not going, hey, a select few people will get this power. He's going, everybody can experience this power. It's just if you're hungry. I am impressed by people who have character. You know, the world we live in, it's just dark. I believe God wants people who have character. I'm impressed with people who have character, but I'm not satisfied until we understand that we have power in Jesus. See, I believe God wants to give you integrity, but he also wants to make you victorious. He wants to crush selfishness. He wants to give you a brave spirit where there was uncertainty. He wants to awaken you to the love of God in new ways. And everyone likes this, but there is a part that we have to play. 
You know, it's interesting, uh, Perry spent several weeks talking about promises and power, and in Joshua chapter 3, when they were getting ready to cross the Jordan River, what did they have to do before the waters depart? Anybody remember that? They had to step into it. So there is a part that God wants to give us a real spiritual power, but to really see this, we have to take a step of faith. For instance, if you want to see people get healed, you have to have the courage to actually pray for them. If you want to see lost people get found, you've got to invite them to church or you have to tell them about Jesus. If you want addictions to be healed, you have to have the courage to bring those to a small group or take those to celebrate recovery. If you want certain things in your life, if you want to release the blessings of God, you've got to release the things that you so tightly hold in your hand. There's a step of faith that I believe God wants all of us to take. And only when you move in faith Will God move in miracles? Only when you move in faith will God move in miracles. So here's what I'd love to do is, as we get ready to close out. Where is it that the Spirit of God might be inviting you to take a missing piece? Is it defiant hope? Is there something that you're missing there? Is it immeasurable value? Is it real power? What I'd love to do right now is just take a moment where you are. In fact, we'll put those on the screen right now. But I would love it if you would just respond to God where you sit. Ask him if he would fill you up with a defiant hope. Ask him to fill you up with a measurable value. Ask him to help you believe that you are victorious in him. In fact, what I'd love to do right now is I'm just going to give you a minute because I think this is the most important time. I think it's Great to get together and study God's word, but I think it's better to meet with God individually. And so what I would love to do is just give you a moment, if you would, close your eyes, bow your heads, and just ask the Spirit of God to instill whatever is lacking in you this morning and receive it in faith. I want you to keep doing business with God, but I just felt prompted. You know, if you are in this room and you go, hey, you know what? I have been around God my whole life. I was talking to a staff member, and they were talking about the fact that uh, they went to the hospital, and they just said that there was a person who'd been in church, but he just said this phrase, you've been running from God your whole life. And if you're in this room, in fact, 
If you're in this room and you just go, you know, I don't know Jesus. Then I invite you right now just to respond in your heart. And just ask him. Confess to him. Make him the Lord and Savior of your life right now. Because this new life you cannot experience unless you have the Spirit of God awaken in you. So I just want to invite you to do that right now. And as we close out, here's what I want to do. I just want to ask if you would open up your hands like this as a symbol that you're responding to God. In fact, as we close out the service, we're going to have care pastors down here. I would encourage you, if God place something on your heart as they make their way down, come ask them to pray over you. Just ask that to be something that the Spirit shapes in you. And remember how deeply you are loved. So we just pray this right now in the name of Jesus. Father God, we come before you. We ask you not to be a part of our lives. We ask you to be the center. I pray that the things that are missing in us this morning, that you would awaken us not out of determination, but out of transformation as we encounter your spirit. God, I pray that we would be marked by these things that Paul says really are the birthmarks of faith. So God, I just ask you to fill us up in a radical way. God, we thank you that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So I pray that over my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray the power of God over our lives. That you would give us an increased boldness for you. That you would cause us to awaken to you. That you would take us deeper than we've ever been before, God. We pray that you would fan into flame a hunger for you that's not dependent on anything other than your spirit. Would you give us a spiritual appetite in the name of Jesus? God, I just pray blessings, favor, and an awakening in the name of Jesus. Everyone agreed and said amen. Well, hey, uh, you guys are dismissed. I encourage you, care counselors, you can come up. Uh, Please stack your chairs on the way out, and uh, we will see you next week. Blessings. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you'll celebrate Easter Sunday with your family at Brookwood. There are three services this weekend, Saturday, April 8th at 5 p.m. and Sunday, April 9th at 9 or 11 a.m. And the online campus will stream Easter Sunday at 11 a.m. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life in Christ. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. You can email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org, or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.